0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. It's the Apple Bits XL. Brian Tong here, a.k.a. your host. Doing the most for everything good and bad inside the world of Apple. Welcome, everybody. This is episode 228. We know that the MacBook Air, the M2 MacBook Airs, are now in hands for a lot of you. I did my review last week with Ray Wong. If you checked out my channel, I have like three videos of content around it. And so this week, we have a few follow-ups. Also, we've got some stuff about... Uh, Maybe if you had a previous MacBook with the previous butterfly keyboard, you want to pay attention because there is a settlement coming. Also, um, yeah, HomePod, it just feels like it's coming back. So we're going to talk about all those stories and more in this week's show. I know I keep on telling you all, if you want to be a part of the show, You can call in. So what do you do? You record a voice memo, send it into to applebitsshow at gmail.com. That's applebits with a Z, your name, where you're from, what you want to talk about, your concerns, the issues, the products. Maybe I got something wrong. All you got to do, just record that. Send it along, applebitsshow at gmail.com. Also, this show is brought to you by you. Patreon.com slash Brian Tong is how you and many of you have continued to support all of my content And this podcast, it starts at $2 per month, $5, which is like a cup of coffee. You got $10, $25, and the $100 Platinum Apple level. But what do you get? You get early access to my content, rewards at different levels, and a completely ad-free version of this show. You all have continued to allow me to keep on doing this. So thanks again, patreon.com slash Tong. All right, let's get into it. And we talked about the MacBook Air reviews across the board. Everyone is giving this machine high reviews. High praise. And now that they're in the hands of really everyone who at least got in through that first initial pre order, you know, if you custom configured it, it might take longer to come out sometime, maybe in the first week of August or whatnot. But iFixit has done their own teardown. And it does, in fact, confirm, which we thought and which we had basically been told, that the entry level M2 MacBook Air shares the same hard drive as that only uses one single 256-gig flash chip, which means, and in testing, that the M2 MacBook Air, much like the M2 MacBook Pro, demonstrates a 30 to 50% slower SSD speeds in benchmark testing compared to the prior generation MacBook Air that had a hard drive with two 128-gig NAND chips that made up 256. Now Apple continues to claim that despite these benchmark results, specifically of the drives overall, real world real world performance is still even faster. And I will say that, look, the only people that this is going to really affect, in my opinion, on a day-to-day use is going to be people who are trying to at least work with larger, beefier, hot, chunky media files that they want to play with on their M2 Machine. So if you're doing web surfing, if you're doing some basic photo stuff, if you're doing games from Apple Arcade, if you're doing word processing and spreadsheets, this you're, I highly doubt, highly doubt you're ever going to feel any difference. But for me, as someone who also kind of wants to look forward in the future, you think about it, I'm not, I'm never going to make excuses for Apple, but a computer. With 256 gigs of storage, if this is something that you're planning to keep for five years, seven years, you're going to need more storage than that. So my suggestion is just bump up one level, get the larger capacity. And if you don't, fine, then get an external drive. But it's always easier when it's internal. Get that storage bump up. And then I think you'll be fine. I think all those tasks that I talked about are also going to be, quite honestly, pretty good with eight gigs of RAM, just because of the way the manage memory management with Apple's OS and the new M2 chip, really that eight gig feels like 16 gig. We've talked about it in previous shows. We've talked about it with other reviewers of how the memory management is different and you can't really compare it exactly the same to Intel-based systems and others at this moment. So I'm just saying, for all of you who just want a, a super... Like what the MacBook Air has always been, that amazing utility computer, lightweight, portable, does all the basics. Well, this does, and then some. And I think it's still an incredible machine that is as close to a perfect general consumer laptop that could be made by Apple and really by anyone. And yes, it costs a little bit more than other competitors, but everything you're getting in this package, I think it's worth it. So they do these teardowns. It confirmed that that hard drive is using, you know, the slower version with a single 256 gig NAND in there. Also, if you're curious, there's actually, they've also found that there's an accelerometer inside the MacBook Air as well, the new M2 MacBook Air. Now, it is not specifically, you know, detailed or no one exactly knows how or what it might be for just yet uh some people think hey maybe it has to do with potentially the spatial audio if you're if you're sitting on a bus or like you're ch- you're turning your laptop okay maybe but there's no clear identification of what an accelerometer in this new M2 MacBook Air is for so so those are kind of like some of the fun things that you get after you know the the units come out in mass but otherwise it is still going to be i say, I say it ad nauseum Apple's best-selling Mac of the year. There's no doubt it's going to be. I just I just don't see how it can't be. Now, in another story, let's let's go kind of back in the time. We're not going to talk about the current MacBook Air and MacBook Pro, the current M2 versions, but a new class action lawsuit that was filed back in 2018 will cost Apple $50 million and it's over the faulty butterfly keyboards that were used in MacBook machines between 2015 and 2019. That's a, what, a big a four or five year time frame. I know a lot of people here listening probably had a model in that time. This report was put out by Reuters and customers in specific states right now, California, Florida, Illinois, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, and Washington. They claimed in this lawsuit that Apple knew about the faulty butterfly mechanism and concealed it while continuing to sell computers with the keyboard. So this was Apple's kind of, and I, look, I didn't have an issue to the point where I had to get it replaced and where I, I didn't even know that quite honestly, I don't even remember that this lawsuit went through. But again, these are from Laptop's with the butterfly keyboards from 2015 to 2019. And Apple really pushed that like, oh, these are so superior. These are the thinnest keyboards, the feel, the stability. I was never a fan of them from the start. I went on the record on that. I didn't bash it. I said, these just don't feel as good as the previous keyboard. And I don't see or feel the benefits. So, you know, people talk about, oh, there's keys that are repeating, they're sticking and failing. And I think over time, It had shown that, look, Apple went back to a new updated scissor switch keyboard, and it was kind of a a realization, and also not necessarily that they admitted, but it showed that the butterfly keyboard was not a solution that worked. It just didn't, and so ultimately in, what is it, June of 2018, Apple actually launched a keyboard repair program, but it only covered MacBook, MacBook Pro, and MacBook Air models for four years. And then Apple would only have to replace the Butterfly keyboards with another Butterfly keyboard. So you had customers that had multiple repeated failures that ended up no longer being covered. And the lawsuit alleged that Apple's repair program was no longer sufficient. Now, remember, I said earlier. This lawsuit only covers customers in the states that I talked about. So I'll repeat them one more time a little more quickly California, Florida, Illinois, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, and Washington state. So those are the people that qualify for this. Lawyers are expecting maximum payouts of $395 to customers who replaced multiple keyboards, $125 to people who replaced one keyboard and $50 to people who replaced keycaps. Now the settlement is preliminary. It's still going to be needed to be approved by the judge overseeing the case, but this is happening and we will see how this all plays out, but I think it's important to know cuz I know for a fact there are many of you that had this issue and it was it was definitely something that I was happy to see them change, go back to scissor and and you know, I don't expect for us to see a comeback at all of the butterfly keyboard i just don't and that was a legacy with you know that was one of kind of the johnny ive era of like we got to keep everything super thin so they came up with a new mechanism and over time it showed that it didn't work out and you know related to that a recent report that i think came out last week during the peak of all the apple macbook air reviews is that apple and johnny ive are no longer collaborating and working together anymore. For a while, we had heard reports that he was an advisor um, that was still consulted on some Apple products. There was also reports that publicly confirmed that Johnny Ive did have a hand in the most recent new M1 iMac design, but we don't know exactly how much input he had. He had a role to play with that product. I shouldn't even say the design. He just had. Um, He was part of the process of making that product, but we don't know exactly how he was. But now moving forward, Johnny Ive and Apple will no longer work together um, and he won't be a consultant on future products. And this allows him to do so many other things as well. And look, I think the marriage of Johnny Ive and Steve Jobs was iconic for the time. The obsession with thinness was iconic for the time, but we have started pivoting. I've talked about this a lot now from form more to function as a priority while still form being a priority function has just edged up a little more over form. And we saw that in the MacBook Pro. We see this in the MacBook Air, which is no longer that wedge design to get that super thin point. It is now uniform. It's a unibody. It's a single piece of aluminum. And it's like a baby version uh, design-wise of the new MacBook Pro design And it works really well. I mean, quite honestly, it's actually technically, it's thinner than the old MacBook Air at its thickest point. So we're seeing a change of philosophy and I think it's working. I think when you look at these reviews of what happened recently with the MacBook Pros, you look at those reviews, you look at the reviews of the MacBook Air, people are extremely happy with them. Um, I I guess the only thing that I would say about the MacBook Air is that people are still uh, worried about. One of the issues is, not only fingerprints on the midnight design, but the chipping that we noticed, just subtle chipping of that exterior coat on the ports and long-term, how will that play out? Or even short-term, we haven't seen it be a wiser thing, but I, I got to imagine in a few years, that might be something that um, pops up and people say, ah, I like the midnight. I'm okay with the fingerprints, but the ports around the ports, it's, it's kind of gnarly. And it's chipping away. So that's been all settled there. And we talked about, oh, okay, the butterfly keyboard, I don't think it's going to make a comeback. But what what Apple products do you all think could make a comeback? Because I think that there's a few that are on the table that I wanted to talk about. And I'd love to hear, you know, I asked you all to call in and maybe this is an opportunity for you to put in your two cents of what Apple rumor product, I'll just ask you for a single one. Do you think deserves or will make a comeback. Now, I think the biggest one that might be a surprise to people is the discontinued HomePod. We've heard a lot of rumblings about this. It was released back in February 2018. Its initial price was 349. It was very expensive for what it was. It sounded incredible, but it was 349. Remember, Apple at one point lowered the price, I mean, to 299. Sales didn't change. They ended up discontinuing the full-size HomePod. They do have the HomePod Mini, um, but reports are saying now that Apple is developing a new HomePod with the same S8 chip rumored for the Apple Watch Series 8. And this is according to Bloomberg's Mark Gurman said that the new HomePod would be closer to the original HomePod than the HomePod Mini in terms of size and audio performance and that the HomePod this new one will have an updated display on top. Uh, I'm pretty fascinated by this as someone who bought the refurbished, cheaper HomePods when they were like, I think they went something like $199. And I was like, I'll do it for $199. And I love them. They're so nice. They, I have two in the kitchen area and they fill the room. And there's so many times where people say, oh, wow, the the sound here is really good. And I'm just like, oh, well, there you go. It was, It was worth it. So that 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 could be one product. What about rumblings of an ultra portable twelve-inch MacBook? Now I don't know. I don't know about this, just because at the time when it came out, you know, how about this? I think it's. I think it could happen, and the reason why is because at the time people just wanted to have a super small laptop, and back then it was thin it was light but it just was underpowered and things change over time apple now has the m1 and the m2 chips that clearly can fit in fanless designs and smaller form factors perform extremely well and that not get hot i mean the original 12-inch macbook i don't know if you remember it looked dainty but it was really stylish and i thought it was kind of cute i never bought one for the record but it had a fanless design as well it had a single USB-C port A single one. (laughs) That's kind of crazy. And a new Force Touch trackpad as well. But it was just really underpowered. But those time changes, and if they have the resources for that, it could come back. Now, Bloomberg's Mark Gurman said that Apple is considering launching an all-new 12-inch notebook by 2024. That's unclear. And if you look at the product lineup right now, you have the current M1... MacBook Air, at uh, I believe starting at eight ninety nine. So I don't I don't necessarily know if they get rid of that and they put in a twelve inch notebook somewhere around that price point. That would be the only way that that would happen. But I'm I'm actually still on board with the idea of a fifteen inch MacBook Air that fits somewhere in that price point, right between the eleven ninety nine M two MacBook Air and the nineteen ninety nine. 14-inch MacBook Pro. They have got to have something in that spot. I know that there's the M2 MacBook Pro 13-inch, which is $1299, but... That's, to me, that's just kind of like a placeholder. We need something in between. Even from twelve ninety nine to nineteen ninety nine, you still need something in between there, especially if you're Tim Cook looking at these spreadsheets and you know how he loves to get you at every price point and make you think about it and why Apple specifically says, oh, we're going to put these features in here specifically because we think that you don't need them for the majority of users. And if you really want it, you need to go up to this next level. I mean, that has always been... His Look at, we have six different iPhones at different price points and levels right now. It would not surprise me if that exact same thing happens to the MacBook Pro MacBook lineup. And it, it kind of already is with the M1 Air, the M2 Air, the M2 13-inch MacBook Pro, the 14-inch M1 Pro MacBook Pro, the 16-inch M1 Pro M1 Max MacBook Pro, right? We've already got those models right now. The third item that might be on your list or may not how about the iMac Pro? A lot of people, when the M1 iMac came out, they were like, where's the iMac Pro? Where is a larger 27-inch display? Because I think there's a there's a user base that fell in love and got used to the fact that the 27-inch iMac Pro was their machine. It was the preferred choice for a, ver- a majority of pro iMac users just because it had the bigger screen. It had a little more oomph. And you have to remember, the iMac Pro was kind of like a stop to me when it came out it was a stopgap because apple didn't have a pro tower anymore the trash can was not very successful and it was they could just throw in the latest processors that they had give it that beef give it that color that space gray deep color finish still have a big screen and give you pro level power on an iMac but it kind of abandoned this whole idea of like tower and display because Their trash can solution did not resonate. The expansion was not there and people didn't like it. People, it was also, I remember using those um, at my old workplace and they crashed a lot too, quite honestly. And it was running, it wasn't running like third-party software. We're talking about native software. They just weren't that great of a performing machine. So the hope is that there will be a new 27-inch iMac Pro. I think if you look at all three of these products that I talked about, The iMac Pro, the 12 inch iMac, I'm sorry, the 12 inch MacBook, and the HomePod. It sounds weird, but I think the one that we'll see first and has the highest probability of happening. Ooh. Okay. I would say iMac Pro, and I think it is going to happen, but I'm going to bargain that we might see a HomePod before we see an iMac Pro. I know it sounds crazy. I hope we see the iMac Pro this year. I don't know if we will. Something inside me tells me we won't. So I'm gonna go out on a limb, even though my logic logic would say, uh, "Duh, iMac Pro should come out before a HomePod." I'm gonna lean towards uh, iMac Pro coming out uh, after a HomePod. This, I'm just, I'm just thinking about this on the fly. I literally don't know anything, but I'm gonna stick with it. Also, just to show that Apple isn't giving up on the HomePod, the HomePod and HomePod Mini have just recently gained support for Swedish and Norwegian. Um, That is in the latest updates. Apple's rolled out kind of a lot of bug fixes and stability improvements uh, with like iOS 15.6, the latest iPadOS 15.6, the macOS Monterey has uh, an update as well. I mean, everything has really just been, you know, incremental upgrades before we hit the fall with like the big, big updates. Also, studio displays, Apple studio display, not the Pro Display XDR, but uh, now shipping estimates have improved significantly in a lot of different countries. Now, back in May, studio display estimates were around eight to 10 weeks. um, And then in June, it was like six to eight weeks. But now we're seeing a shorter delivery time around one to two weeks. And this is specific to the 1599 configuration of the studio display with the standard glass and the tilt adjustable stand so if you get other upgrades like the um ability to move it vertically or the nano texture coating so that it's uh so there's no glare those are going to take a little longer and um i still think it's a quality display the camera on it may not be the best but uh Apple's kind of said, hey, just use your own iPhone with continuity camera coming in Mac OS uh, coming soon. So just just use that instead and you'll be good. And I think, quite honestly, I would probably do that. I, I think what they've done with continuity camera, at least testing it out with the latest version of Mac OS, it it looks really cool. Like I'm I've been super impressed with it. So uh, I'll see if it becomes kind of part of my daily routine. Also, you know, we talked about some of the iOS updates and we know that a lot of software is coming. One kind of new development around iOS 16 specifically is that at WWDC last month, uh, they announced that it will allow third-party accessories with U1 chip integration to now interact directly with iPhones even when an app is running the background. So this would be kind of enabling new hands-free experiences. And you think, okay, so... If it's a third party app, let's pretend it's something like a a speaker or it's a light, like a you know, a smart light that has the U1 chip. So in a press release, chipmaker Corvo said that this new functionality will allow U1 enabled accessories to work in tandem with iOS 16 apps and trigger real-time actions based on your location. So when it's location based, think about this. What if you walk into a room with your phone and the lights turn on and then when you leave the phone, leave the room, the lights turn off because you're not within proximity? Uh, you, you'll probably be able to set those parameters, but you no longer even have to say magic keyword, turn on the bedroom or magic keyword, turn on the living room. What if those lights just go on automatically because you're in the room? That's as someone who's a who has equipped some of their home with smart lights and everything, I love that. I would have to set the parameters probably, but man, that sounds like really cool. Or if you're playing music, you know, right now you can walk your iPhone up to a Home Pod and kind of Put it on top of it, and it'll transfer the music to the HomePod Mini from an iPhone, I believe, um, because of the U1 chip interaction, and it transfers the music there. What if you don't even have to do that? And when you walk into a room that happens to have smart speakers, and it's playing on your phone, and you just came in, it just automatically transfers it to that those speakers. I think these are subtle things that are totally, totally first world luxuries. I'd be the first person to tell you that, but. I also think it's really cool and it could kind of create some new implications. Hey, we already know about like kind of being within proximity of Bluetooth to unlock your door locks, you do things like that. But I just think this opens up a few more opportunities and uh, I think that is super, super cool, super cool. I mean, now you won't, not now, but in the future, you won't even have to use your voice. It'll just happen in some, depending on how your home is set up. Now, we talk about the future, and I think we're now starting to really ramp things up come mid August, and then that September, October, November blitz that will crush my soul, but it's fun is gonna happen. Well, you know, I think we're gonna start seeing things really pick up. We already just got the M2 MacBook Air, but what about August 10th? And you're saying, like, hey, what's happening August 10th? Well, it may not be directly related to Apple. But Samsung is going to hold their Unpacked event on August 10th, and they've already teased that it will be something along the lines of their foldable lineup. And based on timing, the assumption is that we would see the next generation of the Z Flip phone, which is the foldable kind of clamshell phone that fits in your pocket, which I loved. And then the next version of the Z Fold, which would be the Z Fold 4, um, the like mini pocketable phone folds in half. Now... I think a lot of eyes are on there because last year was the first year that there was a foldable phone available for $999 that kind of hit that under $1,000 barrier. Now, this thing did not sell bonkers, but it did sell. In fact, Samsung claimed that worldwide they sold 10 million foldable smartphones or 10 million were shipped. There's a difference from being shipped, but that is still based on demand. That number, though, was 300% higher than the previous year which shows there's a momentum and energy around foldables and every time Samsung releases new foldables to me they keep on getting better the software keeps on getting better the form factor keeps on getting better and last year from the fold 2 to the fold 3 and the fold z flip to the z flip 3 you could tell there they the form factor stayed relatively the same in general the hinges got better but the actual thickness and form factor stayed the same so that's why i'm really curious this is going to be the fourth generation is this where we're going to see another leap from samsung because everyone in the apple community is like when is apple going to do a foldable i think that we've started to give up on the idea at least anytime soon because recent reports had said earlier in the year that hey apple's delaying any type of long-rumored foldable iPhone until 2025. We know that they've been looking at it. We know that they've been looking at parts and components, but they're not in any kind of hurry or rush to jump into the foldable market. So really, until then, Samsung is the leading name in this space. And if you look at, according to Ross Young, display analyst, who breaks down a lot of these numbers, if you look at Samsung's, I guess, foothold or graphs on the foldable market, He says that Samsung was 87.8% of all foldable phones shipped last year. Huawei only accounted for 9.3% of shipments. And Xiaomi, Royal, and Oppo took tinier, smaller shares. So at the moment, Samsung is dominating this category. But then also, you, you might argue that foldables won't hit that mainstream, mainstream barrier until Apple says, hey, we've got a foldable. And then if you see someone like my mom buying a foldable from Apple, well, then then I know that things have changed. And Apple does have that power to kind of move the market. Let's be honest, right? Everyone says, oh, you copy this, you copy that. There's been plenty of times where Samsung has established trends that work and that are marketable. And then because Apple has such a larger market share, once they do it, it pushes it out even to the larger masses. A great example is big screen phones. Remember Steve Jobs was admin. like one to one my my thumb needs to go from one corner to the other and that's that's my design. I'm sticking to it. I'm sticking with only one singular model. Well, Samsung had such traction with the larger screen displays on phones and people were resonating with them so much that Apple finally did it themselves. It was, uh, was it with the six, was it with the six and the six I think so. That's when we first saw the, an iPhone with two sizes. Okay. And so from there, that trend, we've seen phone screens get bigger. And now Apple, I mean, they have multiple sizes, every flavor you can think of from at least at the moment, an iPhone mini to an S E to an iPhone pro, a pro max, right? You get them at all different levels now. That wasn't the case before. And that was definitely a trend that Samsung found in the market and pushed out. And now with foldables, I, th- I really believe if Apple put out some sort of a foldable, I'm not saying it would replace the iPhone numbers, not by any means, but it would sell a whole bunch. And I think it would benefit the entire foldable market. And that 87.8% share of all foldable phones shipped that we see Samsung have, um, that might honestly get cut in half if and when Apple jumps in the market. So um, I think it's fun and worth paying attention to what happens on August 10th to see how the product has evolved. And also, you know, has excitement waned about foldables? Will we be able to see more functionality and use cases or um, design, you know, hinge technology, uh, screen technology where the crease isn't as prevalent. We saw that from OPPO when they released their foldable, even though they don't have the largest market share. I'm just more curious to see how this has implications for what we could see in the future, and you know, will foldables have really, really have a place in our pockets and in our lives? I, I still think they there is a place for them, but you know, until my mom starts asking me about a foldable, that 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 inflection point won't hit until Apple does it. I I, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that that's going to be the case. So we'll see what happens august 10th i'm just you know we love tech and all these different companies affect each other so that's why it's fun and that's why we love talking about this stuff like we are lucky to talk about tech and just enjoy it and man it is like it is a privilege to be able to do all this so thank you thank you all so much but that's gonna do it for this week before we go we got to give big thanks to our patreon supporters at the 100 platinum Apple level, Brandon Ledford, Gil Cabrera, Wesley Freighter, Jarrett Lewis, and Atari Koenigsegg. Thank you so much for your continued support. Thank you to all of you for supporting all my content. Patreon.com slash Brian Tong is how you can do that. But that's going to do it for this week. Thanks so much for hanging out. Episode 228. It's a wrap. It's in the books. We'll see you next time. Same bat time, same bat channel. It's the Apple Bits XL, baby. Peace.